Episode 70, The Rant. Leroy Samuel, Board 119 Certified Official, Basketball Coach to Multiple Teams, Basketball Trainer, and Young OG. When initially approaching Leroy to hop on The Rant, I could hear his reluctance. His fears were allayed soon as we pressed record. On it, he discusses his come up as a young man from Queens, his affinity for being great at everything he does, his experience blowing the whistle, and how his old soul often competes to catch up with his young body. All that and more, my conversation with Leroy, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life, and with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah. Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Neat Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter Neat Tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit neattux.com and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's REFEREERANT, one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref, with a special guest, Board 119 certified official, JV coach for Hafter and Netzuch, as well as a basketball trainer, my man, my main man, Leroy Samuel. What's good, man? Good man, what's going on? So I think I met this young man probably three years, four years ago. Um, he's associated with Long Island basketball, and Ted and Brian Jones assigns the league, and um, always just a precocious young man that was always handling his business. Always seemed like he was very organized at a very young age, and I was always impressed by his acumen of of how to be able to calm people in different situations. But nonetheless, man, welcome to the show. What's going on? That's my fault. It's I really okay. I apologize. <laughs> People decide to hit me up now of all time. Well, also, to your credit, Leroy, you've never been on a podcast, so that makes sense. All right. But I wanted to go all the way back. I normally talk about people's journeys. So what did you play growing up? Um, what did you play in middle school, high school, as well as college? Um, growing up in elementary school, I was one of those sporty kids who just played everything. Never took a care to focus on one sport, didn't join AAU teams, any of that type of stuff. But towards uh, middle school, seventh grade in particular, I started playing basketball. And I kind of liked it, kind of didn't like it. Like, I would play all the time, go to teams. I just wouldn't go to practice, wouldn't practice myself. And the fact that I still stuck around with some of the, the better kids who were practicing every day, on every single AAU team, and I was still competing with these guys at that level. Should have rung a bell in my head, but it didn't. So I kind of just played whatever, lollygagged through it all, and then got to high school. Didn't make my JV team. 
and that's where like it was like whoa I played around so much and now that I'm starting to even like the game I can't even be on my school team like represent my school but that just pushed me to play harder and during the year and then my goal was to make the team and show my coach why he should regret not picking me last year and granted I got him to say like and like those meetings you have at the end of the season like you were definitely a different player than the year before I regret not taking you under my wing earlier and having you play and that made me feel better as a person and I felt like I accomplished what I needed to do so at that part in my life I kind of started working and I realized sometimes I would go to work over basketball but I still played so junior year of high school I I joined the varsity team. What school is this? And where? Um, where Queen's High School of Teaching, School of Arts and Sciences is in Belrose. So I'm like the Frank kind of Frank Padawan on campus. It's cool. So junior year, I went to try out again, and I felt like I played the worst game ever of my like in the scrimmage of my life. And I'm like, whatever, I'm not gonna make a team. So at that point, that weekend, I was, I made the choice like, yo, I'm not gonna play anymore. I'm done. Finished. Go back to school on Monday. And my name's on the paper. I made the team. Grants, mm. I was, like, the fourth name from the bottom, but still on the paper, nonetheless. And I went to practice, and I realized I'm praying hard, playing hard, all happy, to find out I was sitting on the bench the whole season. Mm. And that was just like, okay, I don't got to go practice anymore, because even if I went to practice like I was the whole half of the season, it's like I wasn't playing. So I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to just start going to work, because I did like work. Money, money... As a young age, if you're making money doing these type of things, like the clock, that's how I started. That's how I met Ted. I started doing the clock for Ted. And every time Ted had something, I went to do it. Mm. So that happened, and I started doing it. And I, as you can see now, I evolved from doing the clock to running the place. And it's cool, but you had to start somewhere. Right. And I think that's one of those things that, um, I don't know, you remind me of this kid, and, and this is a deeply a compliment. Um, I grew up with this kid that I went to Kellenberg with. He was in my homeroom. His name was Reed Gorecki. And what was so cool about Reed was that he was just so naturally gifted at whatever he did to the point where he just kind of randomly tried out for the basketball team, made it. He was the captain of the football team, but his bread and butter was baseball. And the reason why I mentioned that to you is that he made it all the way to the majors. And I remember I saw him like 31 years old at the time. And he came up to me. He was like, Oh, Good to see you, man. You know what I thought about? I just had an epiphany. I think I should start working out now. And, you know, he reminds me of you in a sense that you kind of stumble upon things that you're really good at and you're just there. And I think you just always put your imprint on that. And I don't know how to define that. And I'm interested to see when you find something that you're passionate about. And having said that, what do you think your passion is at this moment in time? I'm exploring all these new things that I'm doing. I'm starting to like finance, and weirdly, it has to do with money, but I love starting to love finance and analyze, uh, analyzing data. That's why, like, when I graduate in January, well, God giving, I graduate in January, I want to get a master's in either finance or data analytics, and move on to try and do something that makes an impact. Mm. So besides that, in the basketball world, I feel like I'm gravitating more towards less uh, trainings and more coaching as opposed to refing for the simple fact that helping the kids makes me feel like because I can do it directly mm. like I officiate all the time it's cool it's fun 
but there's but so much you can say to that kid during the game. And granted, you might not even ever see him again. Mm. So, like, you're giving him this wisdom, you're helping him out, and you might not even get to see him even utilize it. Mm. As opposed to where I'm coaching, I can actually give these kids these tools, help these kids out every day, and then down the line actually see, okay, wow, from eighth, from seventh grade, and he's going, and I have him in JV now in high school. You can see that change, and hopefully going forward, I can even coach varsity going forward. Mm. And then I can see the full swing from ninth grade to 12th grade, where that's the perfect time to actually see a kid develop. Because you have him coming in with certain skills, and he has to be mature enough to accept the criticism, the help, use it, and make himself a better player in the long run. Mm. And I completely understand that because I coach my own team of volleyball, and, you know, I started at an early age as, as well. This is, in fact, my 20th season being uh, the assistant coach for... Thanks, man. Um, and I started when I was 19, and it was kind of weird, but, you know, you started at middle school. I started all the way at varsity, so they were kind of like... I went to school with them. Wow. Um, and it's a very fulfilling thing, but, you know, the only thing that really breaks me up in my head is that sometimes um, they receive the wisdom later on. You know, I'll have a girl come to me at 25 and say, you know, I remember what you said to me when I was a sophomore... And they can't apply it in real time. Um, so having said that, as a coach, um, since this is the rant, what was your perception as a player and as a coach of the officials? Um, and how much do you think um, coaching influences or how much does refing influence the way you coach? So there's this always stereotypical coach that you think of. The guy who's always throwing the clipboard down on the ground, screaming at the ref at every call, and that's what you see like that's how refs are portrayed i mean coaches are portrayed mm -hmm. and as me being a coach and a ref i know how it feels to be on the other side of that that coach screaming at you and yelling at you for things you can't control or even things that are not like anything like literally things you can't control like because their player travel they're going bonkers at you like didn't you see this didn't you see that and it's like you yeah, just have to coach the game so perfect example Recently, I had my JV team into championship. We lost by six. Throughout the entire game, the clock was not being turned on. The clock was not putting points up. And it was just, like, ridiculous. Because it's a championship game, you should be paying attention to these things. It's very important. And, and as, as being a ref and a coach, coaching, I'm like, okay, the referee is paying so much attention to the game sometimes. They, things do slip their minds. They are human. They do forget things. So I peacefully approach the referee to get it done instead of screaming and going throwing a, a, a complete, complete tantrum instead of doing that. I learned how to talk to them and approach them in a, a respectful manner. Where now, down the line, one of the other team that were playing in the championship game one of their players hurt, like he fell, but my team's pushing the ball in the fast break. Mm -hmm. And this ref is going, this coach is going crazy. Like, my man's down, my man's down. You got to stop the game. You got to stop the game. Running, going crazy, running up and down the sideline. Granted, he should, he, he, his players hurt, yes. But the referee knows you can't just stop the fast break of the opposing team because when it scores, he blew the whistle immediately right. and held the game and got everything going. But that just shows this guy who's coaching, losing his mind, not, not thinking about the rules. And throwing this tantrum to the referee, putting the referee in a hard position because he did run on the court during the game. He had the players get up off the bench. That's automatically technical fouls. And putting the referee in a hard position in championship game, close game to throw that technical and change game. And you could just see the difference between 
a coach who's a referee and a coach who's not. Mm. I think what's annoying is that my whole staff, well, not that annoying, but um, they'll ask me, what do you think about that call? And I always go, I, I can see what he's doing there. So I feel you on that. What, um, I guess you being involved with Ted and you doing the clock and you running and organizing all of these Long Island basketball tournaments over the years, do you think that, you know, just your experiences with all the refs coming in and out and how cool they were came in, do you think that informed the why as to why you took the class and became an official? Um, yes, 100%. Like, granted, as a little kid, well, when you're back in the day, well, back in my days, when you, your tournaments weren't always in the gym, and it was on the, in the park. You had the portable scoreboard, the flip scoreboard. You had someone doing the clock, someone doing the book. Little kids, we were playing around, and I would always receive the money from the coaches for the referees. And I'm like, cool. Like, I'm like, I'm holding money for people. That's how I got into finance. I never like money. So I'm sitting there, like, giving the, at the end of the game, I'll give refs their ref money, and I'll be taking my little cut. Ten dollars, five dollars for the game. When you're getting forty, forty-five dollars, and that must have been like, wow, they got forty bucks. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Why am I giving it to him? Why can't that be me? So I, over the time, as I'm twelve, thirteen, I'm talking to them every day, every time I do the clock. Hey, how do you get into it? They're like, oh, some people just brush me off because I'm a kid. They won't talk to me. And then some people like Brian Jones, Charles Nicholson, those guys who 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 are like my. idols and influence in the ref world i look at them and they they would tell me things like oh you got to take this class you got to start practicing mechanics even from a young age they'll say things like that and i will take it into consideration that when i finally became 17 i went i reached out because i'm like maybe this is old enough i could drive now i could do everything i could get where i need to go they told me come back when you're 18 Mm. because which is true when you're 18 you you are allowed to take the, the exam and so i did i waited a year during that year I was waiting, I tried all the refereeing, and, and these guys got me to try things. Like, there would be, like, a blow game or a scrimmage. They'll be like, hey, you can do this. Or the game they know that's be crazy. Like, oh, you can help me out with this. And I started, got into class. When Ernie... What was your experience? Let's hear it. Ernie, he immediately, I don't know what we, what, what it was. But he we, sounded like an owl, right? Like, we gravitated to each other, and, like, immediately... He, like, took me under his wing, started teaching me little things. And then when I got to the, actually taking the class, I would come in and everything would be so simple to me. And, like, things, like, granted, they changed the terminology of certain things. And I would be like, yo, this is really simple. It's the game of basketball. I know it. It should be very easy to officiate. And then Ernie said, don't say that because you've never been in that position. Officiating a real game with the real pressure on you. And I was like, okay, whatever. I was, you know, I was on about it. So he took me to a game in the Bronx of all boroughs. I'm from Queens. I'm like the Queens guy. Uh, like from the suburbs, nothing crazy. I took a train to this game, the loudest place I could be. Where was this? Um, he I, was there. I don't remember. Ernie like, was with you. Ernie was with me, but he made me take the train there. Like he made me, he didn't want to pick me up. He said, take the train. I went, took the train to do this training now, and it's a varsity game. He's like, like a scrimmage, not a game, sorry. Scrimmage. He's like, look, you're going to be with a veteran official, and let's see how you're going to go. He put you in the fire? In the fire. He threw you in the fire? Like, immediately. <laughs> I was like, whoa. You got what you wished for. I mean, yes, granted, I said some, I said something, whatever, a little cocky. Then he's like, 
he let me rough like half of a quarter, knowing like he told the coaches and everything, so it would be less on me because they're coming there, coaches screaming at me at the varsity game. That'd be insane. But I'm going, and the first thing that happened is like slight contact. And of course, the, the guy misses the layup, so he's gonna come look at me like, foul, foul. And I'm just like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> like, I, just, I just looked at him and I kept running down. Like, I ignored it. And then Ernie laughed. He, he, after that switch, he told me, like, why didn't you call the foul on the first play? I'm like, I didn't see any contact. Like, I don't know. Should I call the foul? Like, I was asking him so many questions. He's like, you didn't see a con- any, any contact, so then there's no foul. He's, he said it so peacefully, so relaxing. And then I was just like, how are you so calm? Like, they're yelling at you. He's like, practice, experience. That's why you shouldn't just be so cocky with everything. And it was a slight lesson he learned. And then we did all the things and took the test. I think I got, like, two or three questions wrong that day. And one of them was, like, a question that everyone just got right anyway. So, like, I technically only got one or two wrong. But, you know, it was cool. Did you get humbled that day? Very. After extremely you? humble. And I started to be like, actually do... Like, or he always says, look yourself in the mirror, do what you're mechanics. Like, I don't need no mirror. He said the microwave, <laughs> like, turn around, said 10 seconds to get your 10 seconds. I used to be like, okay, Ernie. He said the microwave? Yeah. He said so put the Microsoft microwave on 10 seconds, boom, you got to do your 10 seconds. I'm like, Ernie, come on. That's no, fire. No one's doing that. And I, but after that day, I'm like, if you take this seriously, you can really get good at it. And, and be able to, even just how he was teaching me, I can teach someone else. And that's what I kind of like. Like, I like helping other people. Mm. So, that I took that so serious, and I started actually doing everything. And granted, my first year, I was excited to go, ready to go, again, to PSEL. But I was at a conflict at that time where I wanted to also play. First year of college. Like, granted, I was like, it's just college. But then, closer to today, it's like, you're playing ball in the gym with all these guys. And you're like, yo, we're trying out for the team. And then, like, you're trying out because everyone's like, good games. And then they're like, whatever. So, I go. And I go up to lay the ball up. I could probably might have dunked it. Who knows? But I went to go lay it up. And someone cut, undercut me. And I fell onto my ankle. And I twisted. I couldn't walk for three days. Mm. Like, my ankle was so... It, like, it felt like it was broken. That's how much, like, pain it was. Insane. And I couldn't, I couldn't finish a trial. This is the first day of the trials. He wouldn't even let me come back because I wouldn't even want to come back on that. Like, that's just painful. I could barely walk. My mother had to pick me up. It was a bad day. From that day, I was like, okay, I'm not going to play anymore. So I started focusing back on refereeing, but I couldn't ref because of the foot. So now I'm taking, I wanted to take PSL assignments, but if I would sit here and not run properly or I can't make these lateral movements or, and I just can't be quick on my feet. I don't think I should have. I didn't want to take that chance. Mm. And I did. I sat out that year. First year. Last year as well. Like, my foot, it's never, it doesn't feel the same at all. Like, I can, like, that's why when I rep, I don't, I can't. I know. I'm I'm very curious to see how you'd be in a real school game. But um, that was an amazing story. I did not know that. Yeah. And I got to tell you about a, remind me, I got to tell you about a special surprise off air. It's going to be a special project with a referee rant, but okay, we'll get great. to that later. I love it. Um, love but, it. you know, I see that you have a knack for, you know, dispensing information. And I think people gravitate towards that nonchalant attitude that you have about things because you just seem like you're successful and you take things seriously. But, I don't know, your demeanor is not the typical 21-year-old. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I do see what you're saying because, like, even, like, my friends, they, granted... 
you can't do everything that everyone's doing. But sometimes my friends get upset because I said, oh, I'm going to ref or, oh, I'm going to go work or I'm going to go run this tournament or I can't do this this week and I have a tournament. Can't do this this week and I'm working on a project with my, my business partner, Joey Honan. And, and, and every time I say stuff like this, like, granted, they understand, but they, you do see that, that you're getting separated from your friends and you're being a different category because they're still being, they're enjoying their life. They're being a 21-year-old and... and I feel like sometimes I can't do that. It's just because of how I am. Mm. Like, if, if I'm doing that, I get paranoid. Like, what could I be doing right now to better myself? Mm. And that's why I I got, I got, started working so young. Because it was to the point where if I wasn't playing basketball, like I said, taking it serious in the, in, in the summer. I'm like, yo, I could do something. Not sit in the house, play video games. I could do something productive. And that's when I started working. And that's why I keep myself up today, like, busy. So, yeah, that, that you know what, it's... I find it really mind-boggling because when I was 21, believe it or not, how much you know me as the identity of a referee, I didn't think about basketball not one time. I was being a 21-year-old. I was going to school. I was talking to women, doing well in school. I'd never thought about basketball one time. Wow. Never played. Never thought about refing. You know, I just was coaching volleyball. But yeah, and I just find it amazing that you know, now that I do think about it, because I don't think about you being 21. I just think of you as a smart young man that has started this early on. And I'm pretty sure that when you talk to other refs, you're kind of the envy of other people. Because, you know, I started when I was 31. I didn't start when I was 19. I didn't I didn't take the class when I was 18. So you know, I got humbled in life. I'm already past the stage of, you know, not having FOMO. Um, do you feel as though you're kind of short-circuiting your childhood because you have been groomed in a way that you already conduct business as a true adult? Yes. I've had this thought, and it started in my senior high school. So being a basketball official, I, I met people, met friends, met job, had job opportunities. And my first real, real crazy job opportunity was to go to the Poconos, to this camp called Camp Lobby. Um... The problem was my prom was the day before the day I had to leave. So through this, I'm like, hey, if I go to prom, am I going to be able to make it? Because, you know, prom turns into after parties and after parties turn into late nights out. You're not getting home till six in the morning. But if you have a flight to catch at three in the morning or to get to this guy to camp or even the, a bus to take at three in the morning to get to this camp, what are you supposed to do? And I granted was already leaning towards not going to prom, that took it out of the question completely. I, I took the job offer. The day after prom, I, I didn't even go out to eat. Like I went out for a quick bite at Friday's, went home, started packing my bags, was ready to go in the morning. And that's something where all my friends to this day would say, you always missed out. Like they watch the old CD videos. Every time you go to the school, they like, Things get brought up and we talk about it. And it's like I did miss out. But at the same time, I feel like I was better than myself. Because I met Joey. And the relationship me and him have now to this day is crazy. And it all started because I took a step to become an adult. And even today. You know what I got to ask to do today? What? I, I got to ask to go to a club tonight because it's Tuesday. And, and, it's, you... and I said, I have to record tonight with referee right I said, I was like, I can't. It's fine. It's like, cool. I can't do it. And I said it with no, like, 
it was no like, dang, I'm gonna miss this or whatever. I just really like, yo, I got stuff to do, man, and that's what it is. Well, I'm truly honored if you feel uh, that. I, I wouldn't say obligated, but you know that means a lot to me, man. Because no, there's things in life. There's like, like I want to say, I want to say priorities. Like, cause fun should be a priority in anyone's life. You shouldn't never have fun. But like, we've been trying to do this for how long? For a while, because because I'll say that, you know, out of everyone that I've recorded so far, um, you know, you really opened up a, you tapped into a different part of the brand, like. You're a referee, and you're really telling your story. And I think it would bug somebody out when, you know, they're second year in and they're 48 years old, and they hear somebody like 18, like, "Wow, that makes me motivated to talk to my child, who's a six-year-old, to conduct things like a boss." I can, I could have him listen to this, and then make a decision for himself, but like a very clear decision, you know? No, for sure, like. Like I told you, I was in between a little, a lot of the things I did, especially in the beginning. Because, like, I'll be at this camp, like, reminiscing, like, yo, I'm not home for the summer. I'm out here working. I could be out having fun the, the, before I go to college. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And towards the end of that summer, I realized you, things happen for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. No matter how you feel about it, it happened for a reason. Through that first summer that I was there... I made a relationship with Joey Honing, Alan Berger, Michelle Busso, and these three people the following year, and times in my life where I wasn't working, and I said, yo, what am I going to do? Give me calls to do work. Like, every time that year, they called me and they filled my schedule, especially Joey and Alan. Alan has me going down to Florida for during a, during a holiday for, for a great job. He lets me enjoy myself. He lets me and work. And it's a great experience. Not many people get to travel for work. And when you actually get to do that and enjoy yourself, it's 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 one of a, it's a one of a kind experience. And then Joey, I I want, always want to have my own business. Always. And meeting him, he taught me some ways and now I have LLC. Doing doing clothing for things, for, for leagues, for and that also is like a basketball thing. Like I just can't get away from it. It started because of it. We started, I was printing so many jerseys myself. And I'm like, yo, why don't we print jerseys for everybody else? Because you need jerseys to be in the league. And it was crazy. Like, just everything happens for a reason. So many things happened to me this year that I was so skeptical about. Like, why, why me? Mm. Why me? And believe it or not, later down the line, I, I realized it. Like, some real bad stuff. I, I told you about I got into a really, really f- almost fatal car accident. Car was hydroplane, spun, flipped, hit a tree. And, and I don't know if I blacked out. But when I woke up, it was just someone banging the glass to get me out. And I was in the on the floor, in the middle of the Palisades Highway, in the rain for 40 minutes waiting for the ambulance. Got to the hospital. They were confused. They said, was he in a car accident? And they were like, yeah, I had not one scratch, not one belt buckle, not one airbag mark, nothing. And that I was stuck in on Nyack Hospital on August 11th, 2018, for about seven hours. That seven hours I spent crying and thinking about why this happened to me. And like I told you, I was into this whole, I don't want to ref anymore because of my foot. And 
and I was thinking about all that stuff, and God told me after, but this is all before the accident, I was thinking about it, after the accident, it's like, you have a purpose to be on this earth, it's not your time yet, and you need to, to, to get it going, and that was like, okay, cool, I started refereeing more, started assigning, started doing some assigning stuff, started helping Ted run things, in this in this league now you, that you ref on Sundays, the Five Towns Basketball League, love the, it, love it. You got the Adults League, now. love it. It's it's crazy. Like me and Joey will sit in this office now, and we will just start chucking ideas at each other to see what will happen. And I never used to do it because I'm like he's older than me. Why am I spending so much time with him? And now that's what we do. I go to the office, we chuck ideas at, at each other back and forth, see what sticks. If it doesn't stick, we keep it going. Well. You always gravitated towards me, and you know I'm not saying that in a affectionate way. I'm just saying that every time that I saw you at Ted's tournaments, and I'm thinking about it over the course of the year, you know I'll see you heavy between like April, May, June, August, right? But then it'll be kind of tapering off September, October, November. Yeah. And I always think like, oh, what's what's Leroy doing? I, I just always found you a, just a gravitating person, and you know. You probably feel the same thing with me, too, because I'm always coming in. You're always there. Why do you think I brought you in? It's like, I don't know. It's just something. Like, <laughs> something that we have is just, like, these cool people. Yeah, man. Like, I feel the same way. So, what I wanted to say is that I feel as though, you know, regardless of all the things that we've been interacting and trying to intertwine with certain ventures, I think I met you for a reason, and I really think that it's going to be something big within something. And I don't know what it is, but I feel as though that, to me, you're just kind of accruing skills of things, right? You feel the way. Through time, I'm just doing things and trying to gather as much things as I can. Right. So I can see and utilize it to the best of my ability and do what I really need to do. And I have a superpower, and refing is one of my superpowers, but I had like the like one of the most superpowers of them all, which is writing. I mean, yeah. that thing is open. Amazing. You know what I'm I've saying? Read, and I've read some stuff. Do you remember? That's not why that's I'm amazing. trying to, <laughs> that's not why I'm trying to mention it. But, you know, I was, I was saying to you that, um, whatever that is, I feel as though that I am the writing arm of whatever you're going to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's like, it's, um, it's kind of a dying skill. But I feel like now it's a more revered skill because, like, I, I feel like nobody else can do it anymore. Not the way I do it, at no, least. Definitely as much of it's something a lot of people struggle with now. Like, even in high school, my, 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 my class was, like, the most people failed the writing part portion of the SAT. Not failed, because you can't fail the SATs, but you do poorly on the writing portion of the SATs. Mm. And it's like, wow. I don't know how, that's why they started changing up how the way they teach now in the school. They started this whole common core system. I don't even know if it's still going, but they changed, they tried something new because they realized one of the skills were going away. And like, it's, it's not a good thing. It's definitely something people need to have because people who need to write, who needs to help others get knowledge. Right. And that's what I feel like writers are the best at. Mm. So I want to go back to, um, what we were talking about before, um, what informed you to become a basketball trainer? Because uh, what's really funny about Leroy is that, um, obviously, I haven't done a real school game with him, but this guy has some bunnies, man. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you go into them timeouts, you're springing in, you're trying to dunk the ball. Like, yeah. okay, Leroy. So what what made you start training 
kids and how has your style developed over time as a trainer? So I started off, like I told you, that day in college I got undercut and I fell on my leg, couldn't walk for three days. I kind of gave cold to quits with basketball. I'm like, yo, it's not for me. It's what it is. Every time I try to play, I get hurt. I'm done. And then Joey Honing, the guy who I, I didn't go to prom for, son wanted to make the JV team. He wasn't the best basketball player, but whatever. I got it. I was like, yo, I'll help him out. See, you like strangely take on these insurmountable challenges. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going to help him out. He like, he's cool. He didn't like many people. Me and him happened to be cool. So I was like, whatever. Go to his house. And we just start shooting. And I'm telling him how to change his form. I just start telling him to change this. When you're jumping, land in the same spot. Don't jump forward. Little things. Just little tips and skills that I know how to play basketball. So I know what you should be able to do to help your shot. Then he offered me money to train his son for the rest of the year. I said, okay, that's cool. We can do that. And I realized, like, granted, it's lucrative. But granted, I'm getting able to stay with a kid for a while to see his progress firsthand and be proud or disappointed to fix my methods, but proud to see the, the his goals be achieved. He wanted to make the team. He made the team. And he wanted to be a better shooter. He became a better shooter. Granted, he fell off on basketball. But I realized that what I did was help a kid achieve his goal. And then from there, I said, yo, I might as well help others. And while I was refereeing games, I would always notice that one more talented kid who needs the right guidance, pull him to the side, and then give it, spit him a little knowledge, tell him some little workouts. And I was like, that's good. I'm doing this, and I can see it. I'm good. I'm happy. And then I go to Hafter. Parents start calling me saying, can you train my kid up at camp, please, I, I'll do this, and I was like, cool, I'll do it, and just out of word of mouth, all these kids started gravitating towards me, and, and I started training them, and that has become something where I feel like, especially if you're in my school, and I'm coaching you, it makes everything so much more enjoyable, even if I'm having a bad day, where I'm beginning to see him practice this move, watch it in a game while I'm coaching him do that move, it's 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 one feeling you can't beat, man. I'm telling you. Mm. How do you think that um, officiating or you officiating or just trying to stay within the parameters of legal moves, how much do you think officiating has informed the way you train kids? It changed the way completely. Like, granted, being an official, you have to know the rules. So... Granted, you know what things are like, you get away with. Like, they're not the, the, the easiest things to do or, or the the most simple. They're complicated and they're legal things and you teach the kids how to do these moves. Like, there's this one move I love. Like, I drop the ball, I take a step, hands off the ball, I take a step to my right, grab it again, left, right. Everyone looks like I traveled. He's like, like, travel, travel, travel. But if I drop the ball, I don't have possession of the ball. I have possession of the ball. The ball's just not in my hand. I just step. Hands up, step. And I then I grab the ball. I have two steps because I never took a step. It's like the dribble is a long dribble. And it's a manipulation of the rules. 
but it helped. It's a great move. And that, me being able to teach a kid that puts him a step above the kids in his grade or on his level where they don't know that move because they're not being trained by a referee who wouldn't, like a normal person wouldn't know that move. It's illegal. Because you hear three steps, you're like, oh, travel. But a travel is where you establish a pivot foot. Raise your pivot foot. And that pivot foot touches the ground. Those, that's what you call a travel. It's not necessarily three steps. Right. So, being I've never called that a walk. You can't. It's not. Some old school refs that Some. haven't had their firmware updated may call that, correct? <laughs> and listen. There's right, a lot of people that have not uh, clicked update yet. And they need to. That's why it's, it's, I feel like that's another reason older referees hate it because it's harder to learn things when you're older. So they're stuck to doing things one mm. way. So being a younger official, I can adapt really quickly. So I feel like that's another reason why older officials sometimes get upset over things. And this is why I think this podcast is really a pioneer of what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to set out to do because um, I think the old guard is really guarded about how referees conduct business. But, you know, I'm not, I'm doing this to help more referees. I just feel as though there's a disconnect between how we train officials because, you know, you think about any sport that you've ever officiated or when you first take the class, you know, they're just reading the rules verbatim. I mean, it might be colored with uh, personal anecdotes or, you know, some stories of things, but they don't really give you the training of the jungle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And how do we how do we write about that jungle? I feel like that's my mission to talk about the jungle of it because that's not anything you could read in the book. But it should be common knowledge of, of how the jungle is. It should be. It should be because once again, some like I said with the whole Ernie thing, you need experience to get better. But if you can also read about someone's experience or listen in this case, it might close the gap. It closes the gap a little bit more where you're you're getting something hmm. as opposed to getting nothing. Right. And I feel like it's a it's really, really good that you're doing this, man. I appreciate that. Um if there was any other sport that you would consider fishing, what would it be? So, funny that you coach volleyball. Beach volleyball is my favorite sport. Mm. And I love playing volleyball in, like, intramurals in school. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Would be one thing I would love to officiate. Mm. I've been I've been honestly trying to get into volleyball. And it's hard. And I could be your wing of the trainer for that, if you want. That would be great. Cause I, I, like, you don't understand, I really love volleyball. I mean, your kids, if you want me to infect them with volleyball skills as well. Yo, that's going to be great, man. Okay, well, you you let that brew. Maybe maybe I can be in one of those meetings with Joe, too. Yes, we already need to get one going, man. Um, But what else would you do besides volleyball? I know we talked about flag football off here, too. It's a good sport. I learned that one. Like, it's not the most complicated sport. Oh, no. But honestly, I might want to do tennis, like oddly. oddly I was thinking about tennis. that too, man. It's they're in the shade, they're sitting down, and they're going let, <laughs> let. It's not much to they do. They go like this, let. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank, like when somebody's like, oh yeah, let's go, Federer. They go, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like I didn't, like I last summer, last year I went to the U.S. Open. My friend Zachary Meyer works there. So I got I got him for free, whatever. I watched some games. I'm like, yo, tennis is, is actually pretty interesting. It's fun. It, and I tried it. I'm not the best at it. But it's definitely a fun sport. If I can officiate, I can learn this game more. 
and to probably better myself. And I feel like that's what I want to do. My favorite sport to watch, bar none, is tennis. And I could explain to you the whole game because I really, like, get into it. And I'm very heartbroken wow. that Federer lost because that's my guy, man. We're the same age. He, oh, wow. You know, he's been doing it for so long. He's still the man. I, I can't believe at his age. You know, shout out to Roger. Um, I'm not really a Djokovic fan, but I... Tennis is one of those things that when it goes back and forth, even though you don't like the other person that the opponent, right? Yeah. You just can't, you can't help but go like, damn, that was a dope shot. Like, yeah. that was crazy. That yeah. was, cra every time it's like a dunk, like, wow, 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 wow. Nick, when they, especially when they're going back and forth for a while, and then someone finally gets that one off, it's really like, whoa, that's nice. Mm. So, it's almost halfway through the summer, um. What are the plans for the rest of your summer in all facets of basketball, whether it be officiating, coaching, or playing? So right now I'm working at a, a day camp. Uh, it's really calm. I do the bath. I do majority basketball there because they want me to help the kids teach the kids. I'm doing clinics, so we teach the kids how to play sports. I use my training equipment so they feel like it's welcoming and it's more nice so they can actually get into it. And after that, I'm taking children in the camp that I see want to get better that ask me to help them get better I'm in training them right after camp getting used to the, getting used to the, the gym helping the kids out after that I will be either officiating a, a five times men basketball league at the night and then I'll wake up and do it all over again but August 16th no August 19th to 22nd I'm going to go to the Poconos and help run a, a basketball camp called Hustle and Heart. And it's amazing. They get kids from the neighborhood and, and the competitive kids. And we have a full-on basketball camp and a sleepaway camp where it's amazing. And I'm going to be teaching kids there and also be head of the referees. So I'm going to be also training these guys who potentially could want to get to be a referee in, in, in an official board to help out and, and officiate a game based off of what's going on in that weekend. And it's going to be amazing. Like, I, I'm loving it. Like, I was so happy they offered me that position this year. It's nice. Man, that's really cool, man. You have a really cool story. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Um, after everything that you said, um, what do you think are the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are in terms of a coach, a trainer, as well as a fisher? Um, in all honesty, perseverance. Like, things don't always go your way. Refereeing training and coaching are, are not the most stable jobs ever so I would be refereeing one day and it would be a holiday so that day I can't work because some people aren't going to play basketball on holidays so I'm like okay that's the day I don't get any money and granted it's not always about the money but you have to look at life sometimes like yo I have to pay my bills you don't pay your bills take things away from you whatever so, me being able to change the way I live my life in order to adapt to my lifestyle, because I coach all day, I ref all day, I, I, I train all day. That's what I do. I haven't worked a real job in five years. Like, sit at the desk, clock in, five years. So, it's like, me being able to preserve through those dry spells in the beginning, because I didn't, I wasn't the biggest kid, I wasn't the kid that spoke out all the time. I kind of just did what I need to do. In order to now reaching out to people, putting my name out there, getting clients and trying to adapt to stuff like that, it, it, it made a big difference as in where I was able to buy myself a car. Thank God. Because I used to take the 114 all the way to Five Towns every single day. 
I used to take the, the what I don't even remember what train it is. I took a train from my house in Cambria Heights all the way to Brooklyn at the SCC. So we have three games a night. My ride was about two hours each way. And it was insane. And being able to persevere through that made me feel like, yo, I can really help other people. Like, I didn't see it in the beginning. But at towards the middle, towards the end, you get to see it. It makes you feel like, oh my gosh, this this dry spell was worth it. And now, those dry spells are becoming smaller and smaller. Because I'm becoming better at what I'm doing. And getting asked to do more things. And I felt like that, that, that perseverance through that dry spell is what got me to, to love doing this. Special. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go in coaching, training, and officiating? So, once again, perseverance. Because I have to keep improving my craft. Even when I don't feel like my craft is improving. As a basketball trainer, it would be nice to train, like, become a trainer for a school. Or even, like, college, become a, a, a trainer. A basketball trainer. It, I don't see that being my getting there, in all honesty. I don't. But if that does become something that happens, it would be nice. It would be cool if I could get there. As a coach, I want to coach varsity. Hopefully coach maybe a JUCO. And that would be what i stop at. I don't think I, I would want to go to the NBA. Or I don't want, would want, want to ref at that high level. I mean coach at that high level. As a ref... Hopefully, when I've graduated from school, because I'm still going to school with all this, I can buckle down, start focusing on officiating, and start maybe and in, in get to the NBA. That would be, like, nice, cool. I, I, I want to get there. 100% want to get there. But that perseverance is what's going to kill you, because you can't become an NBA referee overnight. You have to ref the high school games. You have to ref co- JUCO college games. Then you have to ref Division three. Division two, Division one, NBA G League. Get called to the NBA training camps. <laughs> like you know, would, would you look at the, the pamphlet? Like <laughs> then you then you get like to be trained as an NBA official, and that right there is like so much perseverance. Because granted, it's not gonna happen overnight. Oh no! So it's like perseverance for that one is is a hundred percent needed. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I'm far, and I'm still not that far. <laughs> like, but I'm pretty far. But I'm not like, that it's far. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, but back to my coaching. I this year was my first. I was always an assistant coach for. I was assistant coach for two years, won championships both years. So I said, okay, I'll do. I'll, I want to be a, a coach. I don't want to assist. I'm still gonna at one school. I have to be an assistant still because I can't just kick the guy off the team. And, yeah. That's, that's not how life works. But one school, they finally let me allowed me to coach JV. I did what I did this year. Granted, I lost in championship. Sad day. Whatever. I've lost some. I understand. You can't win everything. But these guys want me to coach varsity this year. So I'll have my first varsity team. JV team. Assistant to another JV team. Seventh grade and eighth grade. And I'll be coaching five teams. And to me, I feel like since I'm coaching on that spectrum from 7th grade to high school, yeah. you get to see, like I told you earlier, what you want. You get to see 
the kids evolve. And that's really what it's about. So I feel like the perseverance that I preserved being an assistant coach for three years and finally getting to coach, officiate the highest level in the high school, it's going to be amazing. But hopefully that's that's next year. I'm not there yet. I'm talking into existence. They already spoke to me about potentially wanting me to do the varsity. So if they call me back to actually do it, mission accomplished. You leave the door a little open, let God get in. <laughs> anyway, um, another question I wanted to ask you is, uh, what was the most stickiest situation that you've ever been in as a coach, as a trainer, and as an official? Trainer. Aside from that Ernie story. Trainer. Wow. You ever been late for like two hours? Like, damn. Yo, I won, like, Friday's my day. Friday is the day. I I teach gym at Yeshiva. Oh, I'm a gym teacher. (laughs) (coughs) I teach gym at Yeshiva Katana of Long Island from 11.30 to 1. I run, I, I officiate his baseball game. He has, like, a little kid's baseball game. I help officiate baseball from 1 to 2, 2.15 to my sessions are 40 to 45 minutes. So 2.15, 3.15, 4.15, 5.15, And when it's Shabbos is late, 7.15, I'm training, 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 training. And I'm going from house to house to house to house to house. And one day, I didn't have my car. Mm. Yo, when I tell you I... I Put my equipment on my back, running to houses that are in walking distance, and, and Ubering to houses that are in Uber distance to get these trainings done. It, it was it was like a situation where they see me coming out of a car super late, and they're like, "Where were you?" And I'm just like, "I can't tell them I don't have a car yet because I love doing this. I love doing this. Love doing this." And I can't tell them I was using my mom's car and my mom's not here now. I can't I can't do that. That's not a story I, that's for to tell because they're going to be like, oh, you can't train my son then if you're going to be late. So I sucked it up and I just told them I'm sorry. I'm really late. And I kept it going. I took the backlash and I left it alone. And that's why I was granted happy enough to get my own car because now that would never happen to me again as a, as a trainer. And I got my stuff in the trunk right now. I'm ready to go any day, any time. As a coach, what was the most stickiest situation that you've ever been in? As a coach, having an official get in my face, scream to me, I don't know the rules. I don't know what I'm doing. Let him do his job and let me do mine. And I, I as, a, as an official, can't, I didn't want to be the guy to be like, I am a ref pull my book out and take my whistle and my stripes like listen but you know they still not gonna believe you when you say I am a ref and and, and I'm like you know what I left it alone because I'm like as as a ref he's probably frustrated he, he's a frustrated like our job is frustrating and maybe he had a long day and and, and, and he had to take it out on me and I'm not gonna punish him for that or, or, or say the wrong thing now and ruin like once again I have this whole image of as a coach i'm one of the more laid-back coaches because of how i know how officials feel i'm a laid-back person and i didn't want to lose my anger and keeping my like it's your image is your image and you can't just let 
one wrong thing that someone says. And I'm talking about in my face. Yeah, I got you. Like, I'm smelling his breath. Did you... I mean, how did that get resolved? I like, spoke to him after the game. Did you tell him that you were a referee? I brought my book out. Because remember, like, I, that book has my name in it. You told him you was 119? 119, the professionals, baby. You tell him that? The professionals. Did you tell him that? Yeah. yeah. What'd he say? He said, really? And, I, and he was shocked. And we started talking. We became close. We became friends. He assigns me games now and then. So it's like, <laughs> oh we're goodness. cool again. But it was the fact that it could have came out. So much worse. Yeah. You, I could have lost my temper. I could have pushed him. I, I could have, I could have screamed at him. Mm-hmm. Ruined, have parents looking at me crazy. Like, like, why is he, why is he screaming? Why is he acting unprofessional? I, I, I could have did a lot of things. I could have left it alone and said nothing. I could have never been confronted with him. I could have left after the game like nothing happened. But I feel like I, I went through that situation the right way, and, and it paid off. Well, I think that he probably thought before he even knew, you know, you, I think he was like, he can, this is what you think as a ref. Like, this is either A going to happen, B going to happen. He hit you with the K. Like, you hit him with the K. Like, damn, I didn't even know that. I really thought that he was either going to do A or B. Yeah. You know, roll, roll the dice, see what's good. Heads or tails, that's it. He didn't know that. Option. You had the 11th in the chamber. <laughs> And that's, like, a lot of, like, believe it or not, a lot of officials sometimes try to take, like, the coach and be like, like, they'll ask a question about a call. They'll be like, let me do my job. You don't know the rules. To to, to find out, the coach is the ref. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes that humbles the, the coaches. But as a referee coaching, I know not to do that. As a referee coaching, I know not to sit here and say that to other coaches. Or, because, one, it, it makes you look obnoxious and rude. Two, it's just not the right thing to do. Yeah. Like, you gotta understand. It's not the right thing to do. I think it's an art to uh, disarm them and go like, oh, maybe I am sounding crazy. <laughs> like, I don't know. People say this about me so much. Like, I just, I say everything with a smile on my face. No matter, no matter what you say to me, that you I'll do. have this smile on my face and I'll be like, you'll call me an idiot? I'll be like, it's okay. <laughs> You're mad. You're upset right now. It's cool. <laughs> and like, I'll just have this smile on my face and then they start toning it down because they're like wait he's genuinely like not doing anything wrong <laughs> he's doing his job I'm doing my job and after the game they'll pull me to the side like I apologize about that I'm like no it's fine and they're just like <laughs> it's, it's crazy like why people do that what is the biggest situation that you've ever been as an official besides the yeah Ernie was crazy but being late to a game I'm doing these two-hour train rides, and I missed my train one day. <sighs> you must have been sick to your stomach, and you like forty minutes late, and then you hop on the train with the, with the with the pit of stomach of shame, right? And you're like, Ooh, I hope they didn't start. I hope they didn't start. I hope they didn't start. You don't got no service. <laughs> look, 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 look. I hope, I hope I hope it's double overtime. The first game. I hope the first game went double overtime, and I run to, run into the gym. Game started. They started with one round, and everyone was yelling at me. Where were you? Ah, and mind you, I'm young. I don't have my car. I can't. I don't have my car today. So that's what it is. Halftime, this official talks to me. He's like, listen, should we try to get your partner's number? Or, or like, collect when you're getting older through the refereeing. You should collect referees' numbers. Because if so, you call your assignment, like, who am I working with? Oh, you say X, Y, Z. If I'm working around, I have your number. I can call you to hand and give you the heads up. And that, that would just make things 
It wouldn't make things fix things because things do happen, but it will make things a little better instead of guessing. And I, exactly. I think that's that's always important to have that um, pre-contact with somebody, um, you know, day before. Just and you know, this is one of my tricks that I do is that, especially in during school games, I won't call them. I'll text them because I want to see if it's blue. I want to see if they hit me up immediately. I want to see if they call me back. You know, because now you can. Not that, not that I, I want to call it profiling, but you already see the type of official that you're dealing with, yeah, right? Sure. And I think that's important. You, you want to already build the chemistry before you get on the court. It makes it that much easier. Yeah, so much easier. Like I, you, Desmond, uh, Brian, a bunch of like my boys. You guys know I love officiating with you. Mike, yeah. let's not forget Mike. Because I love officiating with you guys. So it's like I pull you guys into my league. Because, like, yo, if I ever have to officiate, I will have someone to officiate with, and I will be perfectly fine. Granted, it's nice to meet new people all the time. Sometimes it's nice to work with your boys that you that you rough with all the time, and that relationship and that chemistry that you guys have makes it so much more enjoyable. Even if you're getting crap, crappy games, yeah. like where they're arguing every two seconds, or, or it makes the experience so much better. So much better. It does. You have some some of the stickiest things I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, final question that I did want to ask you in the show. Um, what is the best moment that you've ever had as a trainer? What's the best moment that you've ever had as a coach? And what's the best moment that you've had thus far in your officiating career? So there was, as a trainer, I want to say it was honestly, I have two best moments. I can't, because... My training expanded into other sports, mm-hmm. just so it's not only basketball. Yep. And my first case was where this kid hated sports. Hated sports. Like, he, he would pick up his video games every single day. Then with that, he would say, I hate sports. And his mother told me, I sat and talked to his mom. She's like, yeah, he hates sports. I want to just get him liking it. Something. Anything. So I said, okay. What does he like? He said, Mario. I said, okay, cool. I like Mario too. Mario's a red. Mario's red and blue. My cones, I got red and blue cones. I was like, okay, cool, let's try this. And I got, his hoop doesn't go all the way down, so it's a little high. So he started shooting, he got frustrated. Frustrated. So I had to spin something and try something new because my usual thing wasn't working. So I got a kickball and I started playing kickball with this kid. It's simple. All you got to do is kick the ball. Literally, kick the ball and run. Not hard. So he had, I ended up trying it and with him and he started liking it. And I started playing kickball and training how to kick the ball properly and, and, and little things. And for me to be so adaptive in a situation where as a trainer with the parent watching you, yes, you watch the first That's session. some pressure. Pressure. And, and I felt like accomplished. Like, yo, I really did this. And I really was able to, to train this kid in uh, something else other than basketball. And think on my feet. It was cool. My second moment as a trainer was this. There's a kid named Shragi. He's he goes to this school called Darkey and big sports school. They they play a lot of sports, all boys school. So that's what you do. You play sports. He now he wasn't the best basketball player three years ago. I've been training him for three years. He's not the best basketball player at all. He's a great tennis player. 
speaking of. He's a great tennis player, but he's not the best basketball player. But not many boys in middle school play tennis. Right. So he was a little behind. His parents reached out to me, and I started teaching the kid once a week. Built a relationship with this kid. How we have a secret handshake now. Every time I say his handshake, he, he, he comes up to me, sits with me, conversates about his day. And every week I go to his house now. His parents can make me lunch, a little barbecue on Fridays after my trainings. Cause I can space it out a little more now because I drive. So I spend my time there. And building a relationship with him for three years, watching him grow, watching him play in this league, watching him become a better player, watching him go from not being able to dribble to scoring, and still to this day getting him better, was was actually, I think this is my best one. Because it's actually something, that's what I, my, 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 my whole goal is, to get a kid better through the, from the beginning to the end. And he, I started with him when he was level zero, and now he's keep on, he's keep on growing. Keep on growing. And he's so young that he has more time, and I'm going to actually get him in high school. And I'm going to get him. It t- he's still in middle school, so I'm going to get him the whole four years in high school. Granted, he's going to keep playing basketball or even sports. And I feel like even if he doesn't, this kid will always hold a, a sore spot in my heart. He was my second client that I've ever had. And I'm still with him to this day. What about coaching? My most proud moment was watching a, a team I assisted coached last year go 6-4. and four, Losing the first round of the playoffs. Come back to the a team, mind you, there was this team we lost in the playoffs. We lost in the regular season by, by six, and that game so happened to be my head coach wasn't there, and I, if it, I coached, lost by six, and in the playoffs we lost by twenty six, where the regular coach was there, and this year to come there and beat them by forty, forty, forty ball. First year head coach, and then these guys beat them by forty. That's that Sousa Court one special came in here, and, 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 and we did it to them. But watching the smile on those guys' face beat every team they lost to this year, went 12-0. and These guys beat every team that they lost to this year, last year, and just seeing their face and how happy they were. Granted, we lost in championship, and there was some crying, but watching them fa- their faces afterwards, the thanks and everything, made me feel like this is why I do it. I don't do it to win every single game. I do it to see the smile on these kids' face. I do it to, to, to get the positive energy back from everybody. And yes, I lost in the championship game. I, yes, I almost cried. Yes, I held it in because I didn't want the kids to cry. The parents said, and I started apologizing to parents. Like, I said, I apologize for ending the season this way. I shouldn't. And, and, and these parents are telling me, what are you apologizing for? You changed my kid's life. Like, he, he... Every day he comes home from practice, he's talking about it. Like, yes, he's in pain because practice is painful, but he's, like, talking like, I want to go back. I can't wait. And for every parent to sit here and say that to me, it's, like, made me feel like the, one of the best coaches in the world, although I lost. It, it, it was amazing. I, I do remember. It, it's amazing. And finally, officiating. What's your best moment thus far? As an official. Defusing a situation that escalated the next day. So, at the SCC, it's a men's league, a Jewish men's league in Brooklyn. 
I de- I defuse the situation where two people were gonna fight with my words and, and and keeping the game with my calls, my officiating, my court management, using that to keep the game in check. Because the father, the next night, there was like a screw up in the schedule, and the same teams played each other. And believe it or not, I'm on one side of the court, another set of officials on the other side of the court, repping the game I repped last night, and the two dudes fought. Fists were swung, gym got shut down, people left, and I said, wow. This same thing was happening, and I, and I stopped it. With a with a with a a call here, a, a, a words or a word or two to this person here, keeping the keeping the court managed and not letting it get out of hand, and I felt like that was like a maturing point in my in my officiating career thus far, where I feel I felt like okay, I don't have to be the newbie, I could be a, the vet who takes control and helps other other newbies out, you know, and. Yeah, that was a, a touching moment for me as an official. I was just like, wow. It's crazy. That's unbelievable, man. This was uh, way better than I thought. Not that I didn't think it was going to wow. be great, but that has concluded our podcast. Is there any final things that you want to say before we part ways? No, I just, I'm coming back on the rant. Oh, yeah. I'm coming back on the rant. <laughs> we have to. We got to get an episode again. I think it's really cool to hear your story. I never really knew too much about you officiating. It's like a running joke that you're a trainer to all these kids in the same school. It's a nice, cohesive situation for you. It's, it's really nice. Like, being I'm also a student, which is the crazy part. Like, people will be like, how do you even have time to do this? Like, I'm up at, I'm up all, like, all day. Mm. Well, 8 o'clock every morning. 6 o'clock, for if you count my jogs. So, like, I don't even get to really sleep. Like, I'm up and about at 8. fits my lifestyle mm. like I'm in school and, and I could train after school I could train like I don't have to do a 9 to 5 or a part time job where I have to clock in and stay here for X amount of hour I could train a kid for an hour and go about my day go back to school come back and train another kid ref two games go back and train another kid and then go to sleep as to where if you clock in you're there for 4 or 5 hours 6 hours a day you can't do anything else until it's over and I wouldn't be able to do that and fulfill what I want to do in life right this second if I had that, if I wasn't officiating, refereeing, training. And so it, it really pulls everything together. I think this podcast has been thus far my greatest gift to you because I think what's really cool about this is that it'll be a permanent thing that you can listen to on the internet at any time. And I really think that, you know, one day maybe when you're 35, you hear it back and you, it's like a time capsule of the things that you went through and how you were feeling at the time. And that's really cool to record because... You know, when you do go into that part two, we'll see what your progression is as a coach, as a trainer, as an exactly. official. Because, you know, I guess final thing that I wanted to say is that, you know, at some point, some of them is going to have to give. You know, them Instagrams yeah. where they got nine and like three guys to go. Yeah. Some of them things has got to go. So if you could predict where do you think you're going to get to the point where, you know what, I got to drop this one, like. You get, you think you just need more time to figure out what the order I feel of like importance is? I know is? the order. I feel like I I know one that's gonna. Oh, drop. you're gonna break my heart right now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know the one that's gonna end up dropping. Is 
Yeah. Refi? Officiating. Oh, terrible. It, 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 terrible. Only, look, look, hear me you out. You know me and Desmond saying, you crazy. Hear me out. Hear me I'm listening. Out. My foot. It's not getting better that quickly. Like, I still can't do a full squat. Like, flat foot squat, I can't do it. If, it, if mobility issues come into play now, and I can't officiate the best of my ability, I wouldn't, as being a coach once again, knowing that if official can't run down to make the right call, it's jeopardizing the game or potentially putting a kid in danger mm. where they can get hurt because I can't do my job properly. I don't want to do that. And I love officiating. I hope I get better so I can continue. But I feel like if I don't, that's going to be the first one to go. Because as a coach, as a trainer, I don't have to do all those quick movements. I have to just be able to do it for a second. I don't have to do it for the whole time. So, yeah, but you don't get heartbroken in officiating. <laughs> you get you get heartbroken off the court, not on the court. <laughs> it's crazy because that's true, and the, and the coaching does come with its strains, where I do have to practice this all the time. I'll just say, yo, I used to coach basketball at your age. I couldn't do it, man. I just I was getting so emotionally attached to them. I also lacked a lot of patience when I was your. I was not patient whatsoever. I learned when I was. I learned patience when I was twenty six years old. Now think about that. Yeah, my whole life, not patient. Had to have patience, and working working in the area that I work in, some kids are bratty. There's some bratty kids there, and yes, it's not supposed to take. You can't take disrespect from everybody. But when you can be a bigger person because you have to teach a class yep. and you're not going to let one kid ruin it for the other 10 kids that want to learn, mm. that's where your patience and, 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 and tolerance comes in where you have to be like, okay, leave it alone and persist through it. And I bring that to the co- to my practices. I tell these kids to do the simplest of things. Two dribbles, crossover. Two dribbles, crossover, layup. I see kids running left, right with the ball, not dribbling, shooting the ball from the three-point line. I'm just like, yo, that's not what I told you to do. Yeah. And, and I I came to terms where it's like, listen, their kids are going to act like kids. I'm going to make them run. They're going to listen. And that's how practice has to go. That's just how it has to be. There's nothing I could change. So it was like, whatever. I did it. I, I got through it. I love coaching because teaching them new things from the beginning of the season where you tell them, oh, you could do this play this way and this play this way, and you could do this with the ball, and then seeing them do it in a game and at the end of the season not have any questions about what you were learning in the beginning. They have new questions now because they mastered what I told them. And and that those new questions are what keeps me going because I want to solve all these kids' answers. I want to give them all the answers that I can possibly give. Training, coaching, what goes? Oh, that's tough. But... It will have to be training. Okay. For the reason, not everyone's going to... It's more so a logical reason, where it's like, if I'm only training kids and I'm not getting paid, why am I doing it as, like, a job? Because training happens so sporadically. Coaching you would do for free. I would do coaching for free. For the fact where it's, it's... Would you officiate for free? Officiate for free. Younger kids games, yes. Adults, no. I feel you. Because, once again, I still have that little touch I can give the kids. I can't teach a 40-year-old man to shoot a ball no more. 
or fixes fixes dribble. You can you can you, make you, you can make you them can. the five towns killer. You can. They could become the five sounds. Okay. I might be the five towns killer. We need to come up with a team but called they, the Goonie Goon Goons. The Goonies. <laughs> the Goonie Goon Goons of 119. The 119 Goons. But I I wouldn't <coughs> teach adults. But the training, for the simple fact that coaching, I get to spend more time with them as opposed to training, I don't. Mm-hmm. Like, of, of, aside from the money factor... If both of them are done for free, I spend more time with the coaching as opposed to where it's like I could come more often with the training, but yep. changing a group of kids as opposed to changing one kid, you know? Well, I feel you on that because, I mean, I'm still coaching, so I, I, yeah. I get that thrill, but I think it's, I don't know, I'm not as emotional when it comes to basketball. Which one? Well, volleyball you. Matters. Yep. So coaching or rapping, which one goes? It has to be coaching because, I mean, I've just... First of all, I run a website about refereeing. If I were to stop, that's like, yeah, that's like some uh, Forget, Andy for, Warhol. Okay, shit. How about this? That's not a fair question. Referee, referee rant, pre-referee rant, right? Yeah. You are coaching volleyball and refing volleyball. One of them has to go. Which well, it'd be refing volleyball because I have no interest ever in refing volleyball. Like, ironically. Like Brian and Yolanda, they contact me for volleyball because they don't have the feel. I have the feel. Like I, I volleyball is what I do, right? Not basketball, volleyball. So, you know, that's something that I've developed over time. Uh, But you know that I'm so close to the game and I know how to play it in a very deep way. It's not like basketball where it translates. Basketball is like there's a lead to a trail. You transition. You, Mm -hmm. you're not running as fast as them, but you're running. Volleyball, you're not doing anything. You're 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 on a stand, and, and it's like that's not volleyball to me. Volleyball is like I'm a setter, and I'm going for the ball, and I'm about to make some art. I'm about to jump back set to this girl, and let's see what she got. Let's see what's good. Like, damn, coach plays too. Like, coach and coach, coach literally refs every sport. The only sport he plays is volleyball. The only sport he has no interest in refing is volleyball. You know what I'm saying? So. And what I like about volleyball is that, yo, it's co-ed. It's like you could be just as effective on the court, whether you're a man or a a girl. And, you know, I go to those practices, and this is a little bit of my secrets. I go in there and I I kill and destroy. I kill and destroy because if they get a load of how how hard I'm playing, you know, like I'm really giving it to them. Like they're not going to see this with other girls. True. Playing volleyball. So if I do that in practice, best believe the game going to be easy. Yeah. Best believe. Yeah, because they're not that aggressive and they learn how to play against it. So that's your answer. <laughs> there you go. I would coach, so I I feel you on that. Um, you. Any final things you want to say before we part ways? No, man. We, we just got some stuff to discuss after this. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you were thinking already. <laughs> like, we got some stuff to discuss. Yeah, man. So, for Leroy Samuel, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. We're signing out. Peace.